That's Wednesday, so. Um, all right, here we go. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you have it, we don't do this all the time, but would y'all stand? I just want to make sure you stay awake. So would y'all stand? And I'm going to read the first 13 verses. Our text is 6 through 13, but I want y'all to hear it uh, in its completeness. So we'll read verses 1 through 13. If you found it, say word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Him was life, and the life, I skipped a verse, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm going to give you five key notes or words, or phrases, or teachings from verses 6 through 13, beginning with number 1, and that is John. Verse 6 says a couple of things very plainly. There was a man sent from God, and his name was John. Now, we, John we're talking about here is not the Apostle John who wrote this gospel, correct? We know that. It's, that's the other John. That's the beloved apostle who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He also wrote And so we know that's a different John. This is who? Okay, you cheated. John the Baptist is there on the screen. This is John the Baptist. And, and I was curious this week as I was looking at John the Baptist to, to dive into more scripture about him. And there really is a lot of information about John the Baptist. And I'm going to give you a little bit today, um, not all of it. But um, we will talk about him more in this chapter later. So, but I did want to tell you that a little bit about John the Baptist, okay? So in Luke chapter 1, there's a priest named Zechariah, and he has a wife named Elizabeth. And y'all know this story probably. They were both older, she was barren, and, but they still wanted a child. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and said, you're going to have a child, he's going to do great things for God. This is kind of a very loose paraphrase. And so, of course, we also know that, that their child would become John the Baptist. Um, and we also know, by the way, she was a relative of Mary, right? She was a relative of Mary. And um, when, remember in Luke 1, when this was actually going to be a sermon I preached to you all back at Christmas when we missed from sickness. But um, Elizabeth and Mary saw each other about that time. And Mary's like, what, Elizabeth is going to have a baby? And the angel Gabriel said, with God, 
all things are possible. And so we know there's that connection there between John the Baptist and Jesus. And we know John the Baptist grew up to be a strong spiritual man. And I was looking through uh, other texts about him, but it, I really think verse 7 of this text is the greatest thing about him. It's, it's, he's a man sent from God. His name was John. But his, his mission here is to be a, a what? What's the W word there? A witness. He came to be a witness uh, to the, the light. And, and I want to give you just a few more things here. and uh, You'll like these notes when Cooper goes to the next one. But, um, yeah. So, in Matthew 3 and Matthew 11, there are references to John the Baptist where, the, where Matthew quotes the Old Testament. And I'm going to just kind of paraphrase some of this for you. But in Matthew 3... Um, it says, John the Baptist came preaching the gospel, saying, Repent. And then it says this, For he is the one who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, There is a voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. When Matthew 3 says that, it's quoting Isaiah chapter 40. Again, in Matthew 11, it talks about uh, this man who's in the wilderness. And people are going out to see this man in the wilderness, and it calls John the Baptist a messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord. And that's a quote from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, which says the same thing. In Matthew 11, we see, again, uh, talking about John the Baptist, and it says something very interesting. It says, uh, he who is Elijah is to come later. He who is Elijah is to come. And that's a quote from Malachi 4, 5, when it says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day. Now there's some people that actually take this and say John the Baptist was Elijah reincarnated. And of course we know that's not true. That's not what happened. The idea, and we see the answer to this over in Luke chapter 1, and that is it says John the Baptist will go in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the Lord, to prepare the way of the Lord. And I, I give you this, this because I want you to know that Hundreds of years before John the Baptist came on the scene, the Bible mentions him, prophesies about him. He played a very important role in the early ministry of, of Jesus Christ. So we need to see that he had a, an important role. Look at verse 8 in our text. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. I want to say it this way, and here's you a good note. I'd like to hear this repeated on Wednesday night. John the Baptist's mission was to point people to Jesus. Now, we know he preached repentance, he baptized, he did other things like that, but his mission was to be a witness of the capital L, light, to point people to Christ. Now, I want to make some applications on this. First, understanding that uh, about ministers and pastors like myself, for example, we understand that pastors are not that light, but we are to bear witness of that light, correct? And so no minister is a mediator between you and God. Christ is the mediator between you and God. And a minister points you to Christ, who is the mediator, the go-between between you and the Father. We know that's true, and, and we see that in Scripture. It says in Acts 2 that Peter testified of the Lord. It says in Acts 20 that Paul testified of the Lord. And so I'm saying this about myself and any other minister you may know. If a man of God 
stands and does not point people to Jesus, he is not doing his job. If he points people to himself or to even to his church, he's not doing his job. His job is to point people to Jesus. His calling is to point people to Christ. And I pray that I would do a better job at that. But it also applies to all of us as Christians, doesn't it? All of us as Christians, by our actions and our words, should point people toward Jesus. We're not that light. Not that light. Not the big capital L light. We're not the light of the world. He is. But we are sent to bear witness of the light. And I pray we would do that. That leads me to my second word or phrase. And that is the true light. Look at verse 7. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men might through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And then verse 9 begins, begins, that was the true light. I'll be honest, this next thing I'm about to give you here really clicked with me Wednesday night. Uh, Dusty and I and, and Mark and, and Kyler, we were in a group, small group, and we were kind of looking through John 1, and I was like, wait a minute, and like a light bulb went off in my head. Why didn't I see this last week when I was preparing for that sermon? But you remember Genesis 1, 1 through 3. You can see it there, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and, and what was over the face of the deep? Darkness. There was darkness. And then God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity, who's a part of that creation, we talked about that last week, said, let there be what? Light. So Jesus was a part of bringing physical light into physical darkness, created light into created darkness. But then notice this, he brings spiritual light into darkness. Verse 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He brings light, and as we said the other night, he brings hope into the world. One of my favorite authors to read after is a man named J.C. Ryle. And I want to give you this quote, and I think it's going to be up there. Listen to what he says about God as the light, and he compares Christ to the sun, the actual sun in the sky. Listen, he says, Christ is to the souls of men what the sun is to the world. He is the center and source of all spiritual light, warmth, life, health, growth, and beauty. Like the sun, he shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for high and for low, for rich and for poor, for Jew and for like the sun, he is free to all. All may look to him and drink from his light. If millions of mankind were mad enough to dwell in caves underground or to bandage their eyes, their darkness would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions of men and women love spiritual darkness rather than light, the blame must be laid on their blind hearts and not on Christ. Their foolish hearts are darkened, but whether men will see or not, Christ is the true Son and the light of the world. There is no light for sinners except in the Lord Jesus. I love that picture. 
of, he said, people can go and hide in caves, but there's still a sun out there giving light, right? And that's what people do spiritually. They refuse Christ, they reject Christ, they deny Christ, but he is still the sun and the only true light for darkened hearts. I want to show you quickly here, as we think about Christ as light, notice um, just four quick things about that. First, Jesus Christ as creator brought light into a dark world. As creator, he brought light, as we just said in Genesis 1, into a dark world. Secondly, Jesus Christ as incarnate brought spiritual light into a spiritually dark world. Thirdly, Jesus Christ as Savior brings spiritual light into spiritually darkened hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, I love that verse. It says that God shines the light of his glorious gospel into our hearts. And then the last one, which you can't see there, it's Jesus Christ as King will bring glorious light throughout eternity. You remember Revelation 21, 23? It's very interesting. It says there's no need for a sun, a moon, and stars because Jesus the Lamb will be the light. Just speaking of his glory and beauty and majesty of who he is as Christ. I don't know what that noise is. Y'all hear that noise? Cooper, turn the monitor all the way down, please, sir, if it's not. Thank you, sir. Number three, our third word is the word depravity. You know what depravity means? Wickedness, sinfulness, and I just think you see it clearly in, in these next two verses. Look at verse 10. And these verses are heartbreaking. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Emmanuel, God with us, came to dwell with us and with men and women, and people still didn't know him or accept him. And I think verse 11 is even worse or even more sad. He came unto his own, and his own people did not receive him. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Hey, do y'all like those singing competition shows on TV? Y'all watch The Voice? Anybody? Some people do. Some people are like, nah. Um, we watched The Voice, and, and I remember in the old days, we watched American Idol, because it was like the first big one years ago you know, that we watched. But we watch it every year and just you know, something to watch during the week. There's less choices you know, 10 years ago than there is now. But um, anyway, uh, we always liked the part at the end of American Idol when there's like three contestants left, and they would send them home. You know what I'm talking about? They would, have, they would fly them on a private jet, and they would fly back to their hometown, and it would be like the red carpet treatment. They would, they would fly in on a plane in the airport, and there'd be a crowd cheering for them, holding the signs with their name on it, and they would get a limo ride to their house where they would hug and see their family for the first time, hug, kiss their family. Then they would have a parade down Main Street, and I'm like, how do they get hundreds of people to show up for this, to like or for a parade for this one person? And then they would end up at City Hall where the mayor would, you know, give them a key to the city or name the day after them or something like that. And then at the end of the night, they usually would have a big concert with hundreds or thousands of people on the stage, you know, on the stage and a band, and they would sing their songs. And, and they would all, it was, it's always very emotional if you watch it, like they're crying. But can you imagine that? Can you imagine, especially if you're 20 to 30 years old or something, and you go to California, you get famous, and you come back to your hometown, and people all of a sudden know who you are and love you? It has to be an overwhelming feeling that 
I'm guessing none of us have ever felt, <laughs> probably. I know I haven't. I go back to my hometown, and people see me in Walmart, and they're like, I think I know that guy, but I'm not sure who he is, you know. So, yeah, I feel the same about you. But um, here's my point. Here's my point. They go back home, and they get, as I told you, the red carpet treatment. Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth, from the lineage of Adam and Abraham and David and on and on, to these Jewish people, by the way, which this is what this is really talking about, had read about him in their Old Testament, had, had seen types of him in their temple worship of how he would, there's one coming, there's, one, there's a Messiah coming. Then he shows up back home, if you will, and he does not get the red carpet treatment, does he? Not only does Jesus not get the red carpet treatment, but he came to his own and they rejected him. The one who brought their people out of Egypt, the one who provided for them in the wilderness, the one who kept them as a people, they rejected him, they denied him, they despised him, and these very people who did not receive him were there and a part of him being crucified on the cross. Talk about a homecoming, a sad homecoming. Why do I say this? It points to this, the depravity of man. The depravity, the wickedness, the sinfulness of man. It cannot be um, talked about enough. From the fall of Adam in the garden to the flood in Noah's day and all the things that have happened throughout history, we know that sin has corrupted everything except Jesus and the works of God. Let me give you an illustration. And I think I've used this before, but if I had a, a glass of water up here and I said, hey, I'm going to drop one drop of poison in this glass, just a small drop of deadly poison in this glass of water, and then I offer it to Chuck, is Chuck going to drink the water? He might actually try it. I don't know. No one Chuck. No one Chuck, he might actually try it. But a normal person is going to be like, I'm not drinking that. Even if it's just a little bit of poison, a little bit of poison is enough to ruin a whole glass of water right? Some people say, well, you know, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as I could possibly be. Well, here's the truth. We're born in this world as sinners, depraved, and the, the one drop of sin we have is enough to ruin us and to damn us, condemn us. That's why our hearts, our minds, our will would never want to know God or choose God if God didn't choose us and save us first. That's why the Bible says he is the true light that shines light because the Bible knows we are, in our hearts, darkness. But the true light, look at verse 5. The, the light shines and the darkness did not comprehend it or understand it. But then verse 9 says the light um, shines uh, on all people. Only those whom God shines the light of his gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, into their heart have truly seen the light and had their hearts changed. Do you all know people? Do you know anybody in your life that's been to church, heard preaching, but they just refuse to become a Christian? Like, why don't so-and-so, probably in your family or our families or our friends, we know some people that they've heard preaching. I've talked to them about the Lord. 
uh, you know, they've been to church some. Like, why don't they receive Christ? Why aren't they, why aren't they born again? And the Bible would say this, that they're, they've been blinded and their hearts are still darkened with sin. You might say, well, they're a good person. And they might be, they might be a nice citizen, good citizen. But if their hearts are darkened with sin and never been changed by Christ, then that is, means we're lost, right? And that leads me to our final two points. Number four is the word adoption. Verse, and this, is, of course, is spiritual adoption. Look at verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The reason I love verse 12 is verse 10 and 11 were kind of sad. Like Jesus came and they did not receive him. But here's the truth. In all ages, though most people reject Christ, there are always people who receive him. And throughout, throughout any uh, period of history, there are people who, there's the church. There's people who love Christ and serve the Lord. So it's the same here. Most of those people he came to didn't receive, many did. And to those who did receive him, I love this. He says he gave them power or strength. Or another way to say this is he gave them uh, the priv a privilege or privileges. He brought, Christ brought us who were his enemies into the family of God. He brought us in, he made us his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he grants us Various privileges. I had someone text me this week, someone I know very closely, and they said, I need $5,000. I was like, yeah, don't we all? <laughs> and um, I was like, what's, what's that about? You know, and, and this person's trying to adopt. And first off, first off I, thought, I, I thought adoption costs way more than that because I know they can be very expensive in different places. And, and um, so just talking a little bit with this person about adoption, um, and, and y'all know this, even if you've never been adopted or, or don't know anybody that's been adopted, you know that in, in almost every way, when someone is adopted, especially a small child, right, it changes their life. Sometimes their last name is changed, their home is changed, their home situation is changed, their future outlook is changed, pretty much everything in many ways. When God adopts us through salvation into his family. He grants us various privileges, and we are changed for the better. We're born again into a heavenly birth, and we're adopted into his family. Look at the fifth word. The fifth word is regeneration. By the way, I'd love for you to all know this word. It's kind of a big word. It's not a word we use in life in other parts of life, but you see it multiple times in Scripture. But regeneration is, it's a work of God where he brings a spiritually dead person to life. Have you ever heard someone say, you must be born again? You must be born again. The second birth, the new birth, that is regeneration, being born again. So look at verse 13. It gives us some insight here about God's work in our hearts. He says, which were born... And that is spiritually born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, man, but of God. 
I love this verse, and I'm going to give you just, I think, four quick things here about it. The first thing says that they were born not of blood. And this means that believers are not spiritually born because of their family. And many people in Jesus' day would say, oh, hey, I'm a child of Abraham, you know, I know the law of Moses, and they would kind of cling to their, their heritage for their salvation. He says here, it's not, it's not that physical birth, it's that spiritual birth. Some of you are probably already ahead of me in two chapters. We're going to be in John chapter 3, and Jesus Nicodemus, and he says, you must be born again. And we'll talk more about, about this truth. But I believe that Christian parents and Christian grandparents and Christian families can certainly guide you toward salvation. And that's happened for many of us. But we know we're not saved because our parents are saved, or because our grandparents are saved. He makes it clear here, we're not adopted because of our family line. The second thing is, uh, believers are not spiritually born because of their own efforts. He says, not of um, blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Our own efforts, our own exertions, our own natural hearts are never enough to forgiveness from God. And I think this is probably the biggest one for you know, people maybe in, in our day and time who think, if I just go to church pretty regularly, I'll be all right with God. Or if I you know, give some offerings, or if I do this or that, if I'm a good person, I'll be all right with God. And that's the worst thing, by the way. If the preacher has to stand up at your funeral and say, He's a pretty good person, but if a preacher don't have anything else to add to that, that's not good. <laughs> you want the pastor to be able to say, he, she gave her life to Christ. Her life was a testimony of Christ. And that's, as a preacher, I love being able to say that about people. It's not about our own efforts. Our own efforts are never going to be enough, ever. And when we try to gain God's approval by our own efforts, it's actually just a more an offense to him than anything else. When we should be accepting the free gift. The third one, believers are not spiritually born uh, by the act of the will or by the act of others. Now, this says by the act of, by the will of man, and um, some have interpreted this to say that means our own personal will, which I think is also true, that we're not saved by our own will, it's by his will that we're saved, but, but, I think, uh, I think a good interpretation of this is that we're not saved by the acts of others. So that to say, your priest, your pastor, your preacher cannot, you know, confer salvation on you. A man can't save you. Only God can. Only God can. A preacher can guide you toward the truth. A friend can guide you toward the truth. But only Christ can bring that new life. And so that brings me to the fourth one, which is just believers become what they are solely and entirely by the grace of God. Now listen, I know I'm preaching to a lot of Christians this morning. Let that sink deep into your heart this morning. Believers become what they are solely and entirely by the grace of God. It's His free grace that calls, converts, renews, sanctifies, and gives us new birth. And the more you think on that, the more you think on the fact that you owe everything to Christ, and nothing to yourself, the more you think on that, it should cause you to love him more and to worship him more. People who grasp the truth of regeneration that God saved apart from anything else, when people grasp that truth, 
their lives are changed and they live differently. And Christ and the things of God and his word and the church will become a priority for that person. I don't know a single person who I believe has been regenerated or born again who doesn't take spiritual things seriously. Now, do we all go through ups and downs? Yeah. Some seasons of doubt or seasons of struggle? Yeah. But everybody I know that I would, if you ask me my honest opinion, is that person a Christian? The ones I would be like, for sure, yes. You see it in their life. Their fruit bears witness to what God has done in them. So I hope that we all feel that way. And let me give you an illustration about this final word, regeneration. Um, I have been in the room when five babies were born. Not at one time, all separate. Thank the Lord. But I guess five, yeah. And every time I witness this birth, these births, it was magical, kind of gross, um, and a lot of other things I could describe. <laughs> but here's something in common with all five times. I only passed out once out of five. That's not bad. All five births I kind of witnessed, every single time, I did absolutely nothing to help. Any of you men, did y'all help? I don't know. I did nothing. I just stood there. I'm like, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. Somebody do something. But the wife, the lady's doing a lot of work. The, nar- the nurses, the doctor, they're doing work. And I'm just standing there like this. <laughs> what do I do? You know. But then the babies are born. And, you know, four, four of mine, you know, breathe the breath of life and begin to cry and live and but I did nothing. I mean, at that point, <laughs> I did nothing. And the babies did nothing, did they? They just were there. It was the mother, it was the nurses, it was the doctors. When when you were born, you did very little, if anything, to bring yourself into this world. When you were spiritually born, when you're born again through Christ, you did nothing to bring yourself into that. He made you new. When Genesis 1 says there was darkness and God said let there be light and there was light, that same thing happened in your heart when you were born again. God looked into your heart and saw darkness, into my heart and saw darkness, and he said let there be light and there was light. Is that true? I'm going to take it a step further. When God said, let there be light, and there was light, you, you became awake to the truth, and you repented of your sin, and you believed in Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And when he said, let there be light in your dark heart, and the light came on, and the new breath of life was in you, the spiritual breath of life, there was only one thing that was going to happen in that moment. You were going to repent and believe. In that moment, because God had made you alive to the things of him. And that's why this morning I pray, if you don't know Christ, I pray he would shine the light of the gospel into your heart. 
and that you would repent and believe in him. There's nothing I can do for you except, as John the Baptist did, point to that true light, which is Jesus. But I do want you to know as we move to our conclusion that elementary but true, right? God loves you and wants to make you a part of his family, but it happens by his grace being poured out in your heart. Five key thoughts. John the Baptist, we'll talk about him more in a, in a week or two here. Um, the true light, which is Christ. He is, as we sang earlier, the light of the world. Depravity, our sinfulness, is the reason we need the true light. Our darkness is the reason we need him. Adoption, he brings us into his family. And how does he do it? He does it through regeneration, where he makes us born again. Do you desire to be a son of God, a daughter of God? Receive Christ this morning and believe in him with all your heart. And to everyone who receives him, you will have the privilege, the privilege of becoming a child of God. Let's pray.